It is the Lord's Day, a day of joy, praise, thanksgiving, worship, gladness, confidence, rejoicing. May God make this a time of great encouragement and personal blessing in your life. Thank you for joining us today. We are mindful in this day in which our entire world seems to be hard of hearing. God is trying to talk to us. And the message for you and I as Christians is, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Amen. We need the divine hand of God upon us as individuals, as families, as churches, as a nation. And around the world, there's nothing more needful than the worship of God and the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to that, we give ourselves today in this service. Before we pray, let me remind you that we plan at the close of this service, or toward the close of this service, to observe the Lord's Supper. So hope that you have those things that are necessary in hand in order that we might just have a wonderful time of fellowship together and a reminder of who is God and who is the Savior and what is our hope and where is the focus of life. We'll do that toward the close of this service and we'd be delighted if you could join us in that. Again, thank you for being with us today. I'm trusting that this time again will be a time in which people will be genuinely converted. Some of you do not know the Lord Jesus. Mm -hmm. May this be a day of great salvation in your life. A great day of reviving and refreshing for God's people. I want to piggyback on your announcement about ministry. If we don't train people for ministry, they don't have any purpose for life. Right. Our work world is ministry. Our wife is ministry, our husband is ministry, our children are ministry. We, If we don't minister to them, we're not fulfilling our purpose in life. Right. Everything in life is a ministry. Family, friends, neighbors, every part of life is ministry. So if somebody does not minister, they really do not live. Well, yeah, you know, the topic is everybody is a saint. That's exactly That's hard for us to believe, but we are. And when you're in your home, you're still supposed to be a saint. So find a way to minister to your family and let God use you. And then in your neighborhood. And, and this is why when, when people felt, find challenges in their family, they don't recognize that this is their need of ministry. Absolutely. And they need divine power and wisdom to minister to the needs of their family, the needs of their parents or their children, or the needs of their co-workers, the needs of their neighbors. All of these needs demand ministry, and we don't feel adequate. And uh, So you'll tell us about that on Wednesday right. night. It's a personal touch that you can't get because you can't come to church right now. But we need to give it to each other. It, it, is, it, is, it is so true. Uh, now before Pastor Pelletier reads the scriptures for us, uh, I want to just share something from a fellow pastor in the Berean Baptist Church in Fairfield, uh, a wonderful, godly man, Pastor Art Zacher. I don't want to read an article that he had in his, in his newsletter. He gives the, the Matthew scripture, She shall bring forth a son, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Here's his comment. In a recent CNN 
interview with Dr. Anthony Fauci, Jake Tapper suggested that Christmas is probably not going to be possible because of potential COVID-19 spikes spread by indoor holiday gatherings. Perhaps Jake Tapper was thinking about the secular expression of Christmas, which often consists of gifts, foods, alcohol, and football on TV. In a sense, that may be true, as some avoid the traditional customs and quarantine from others. For those who know Christ, it is apparent that our understanding of Christmas is far different from the world. While getting gifts is nice, the greatest gift was Jesus, who was born to die for our sins. Amen. Jesus truly is the reason for the season. Dr. Seuss, in his book, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the Grinch goes from house to house, steals all the gifts, Christmas decorations, and holiday food, so no one can enjoy Christmas. He returns to his mountain home expecting to hear the wails of the, quote, the Who's. Instead, they gather into a circle holding hands. As Dr. Seuss wrote, every Who in down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any present at all. He hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. Somehow or other, it just came the same. <laughs> Neither Dr. Fauci nor Jake Tapper can stop Christmas from coming. Amen. <laughs> it is a historical fact, an idea from God. Jesus is born our redemption from sin. Hey, Merry Christmas. Amen. Let's celebrate the real thing and have a great Christmas together. What is the scripture today, Pastor Pelletier? Psalm 46. So if you have your Bible, turn to Psalm 46, and we'll read these beautiful 11 verses. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. There is a river, the streams whereof shall, be, shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved, he uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord. What desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. What a blessing. May God bless the reading of his word today. Christmas celebrated in isolation means nothing. The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ was in the middle of human history somewhat. We don't know how far to the center one way or the other, but it was in the midst of human history. It is a part of a larger picture, a grand story 
of human history, man being created by God, man departing from God, God intervening to bring man back to God, and ultimately God coming back to, to reclaim all of creation for his own praise and glory and his own wonderful purposes. Now, Christmas is all about God becoming man. I hope and I pray that Santa Claus has no place, no place, no place in your life. He is a terrible substitution for the wonderful saving act of God in human history. It is a profanity to substitute a jolly fat man with a red suit and to try to make him the center of something that belongs in the heart and mind of God in redeeming mankind to himself. Christmas is all about, Christmas is all about, Christmas is all about God becoming man. Nothing more, nothing less. Christmas is about God becoming man. Amazing it is that Adam and Eve were placed in the garden in a state of total innocence. They knew nothing of sin. They had instructions from God. Satan intervened. He deceived the woman and the man participated in her sin. And all of humanity was thrown into a state of chaos and confusion. You will become like gods, Satan promised. Wow, did they ever become like gods. They began ruling their own universe and since they were not God, they didn't have a clue as to what to do with it. They're like you and me. Throw us into our world, give us no divine revelation and we are clueless. Clueless. Unregenerated man is clueless as to what to do with his world. He, he's got to be a god in his own world and he doesn't know what his world is about. He doesn't know what he's about and he has no idea what to do with his creation. Wow. So God intervened in the garden very directly, and He made a very strange promise. He, he was talking to the, He was talking to the serpent as He placed a curse upon the serpent, the woman, the man, and then creation itself, because of the sin. And in Genesis 3:15, God said concerning the serpent, "I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman." And between, and this is an interesting statement of Scripture between your seed and her seed. Now this is amazing because the word seed here generally has to do with the male part of procreation, not the female. So how does the woman have seed attributed to her and ultimately is in, in, in her offspring? But we'll find out why how this comes about. Between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. This is a Delightful promise how God is going to intervene in order to reverse, to reverse the terrible mess of sin that had just intruded on his creation and on those who were created by him in that creation. So, way back in the Garden of Eden, we have this strange promise. He is going to put animosity, enmity between the serpent, that's Satan, and between the woman between Satan's seed and offspring and her seed and offspring. And the seed of the woman was going to bruise him on the head. That was a fatal blow. You shall bruise him on the heel. That was a wounding blow. 
And that's as far as we can go theologically with that today because we're heading in another direction. In Micah 5, 2, we have a promise concerning the coming of Messiah. But thou Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah or the clans of Judah, yet out of thee one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. Now King James says, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. New American Standard says his goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Whoever this was that was coming into Bethlehem was going to be more than a mere man. He was not going to be a temporal being, but an eternal being. Absolutely amazing. Now, uh, we've been told in Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman, now we've got somebody here whose goings forth have been from everlasting from the days of eternity. Somehow, an eternal being is going to come in answer to the promise of Genesis 3.15. And in answer to the promises of both of these texts, and we could go to other texts, but we haven't time today. In John 1.14, the Word became flesh and literally tinted among us. And we saw, we beheld his glory. We theatered his glory. We observed closely and carefully over a long period of time the glory of this word who assumed and became flesh. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full or filled with grace and truth. The word became flesh. Who is this word? Well, he's described for us in John 1. In the beginning was the Word. That is, when the beginning began, the Word already existed. Out of the Greek text we find this. And this Word was face to face with God, and, and God was this Word. So this was a divine being, if you please. The same existed. The word was there means existed in the beginning with God. Everything was created, was made by him. Now he's the creator. Wow. Are you getting this? Just a string of descriptions. He was the creator. Everything was made by him. He existed prior to everything else. Everything was created by him. Apart from him, everything that exists came into being, according to the Greek text. In him was life. He was the source of all life. And then we, we read that he was in the world, verse 10. The world was created, was made by him. But the world did not recognize him. This is absolutely amazing that mankind is ignorant of God. That in itself is a great wonder. But this is true of our pagan society. This world doesn't recognize God. If it met him face to face, it wouldn't recognize him. You talk about ignorance. You can have a dozen PhDs. If you, don't, if you can't recognize God, you're not educated. You've missed the point somewhere. He came to his own, his own did not receive him. And then, then we find on page 2 of your notes, and I hope you have the notes, they'll be very useful for you. John 4.24, God is spirit. Um, that's the New American Standard. There's no article in front of that. Spirit means quality. God is spirit. That is, as to his nature, as to his being. Now, <coughs> you will notice John 1.14 the Word became flesh. Now the Word then was spirit because he was God. That which was spirit in nature became flesh. This is interesting. 
We're talking about Christmas. We're talking about a God who, who, who is spirit in nature and in being. He does not have a physical nature at all to him. And he is assuming somehow a God who is spirit is assuming human flesh. Human flesh. Jesus emphasizes this after the resurrection. See my hands and my feet. It's I myself. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones, as you see I have. God doesn't have flesh and bones. But now this spirit God assumes human flesh in one capacity or another. How does God get into flesh? We're talking about Christmas. How is God going to assume humanity? How is God going to enter into the human family, how is, how is a spirit being going to assume flesh and come and become a part of the human family in that particular way? Well, he's going to be, do it by a very unique birth. And John emphasizes uh, in, in his gospel and in First John, he emphasizes that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son. Now, only begotten is difficult for the translators. One of the translators said is one and only uh, son. Really, the Greek word means one of a kind. One of a kind. There's only one like it. It's unique. It's the uniqueness of his begetting. Now, you and I are sons and daughters by faith in Jesus Christ. We are begotten of God. Literally, that word is used, begotten of God. So we have been begotten of God, but not in the sense Jesus was. He was uniquely begotten of God. No one like him before, no one like him after. Only one of a kind. And so he is the uniquely begotten son. In John 3.16, he gave his uniquely begotten son. And so uh, in John 3.18, the reason people are condemned because they've not believed into the name of the uniquely begotten Son of God. There's, there's not somebody else. He's not one of several saviors. He's not one of many religious leaders. He is unique. He is uniquely begotten of God. God who is spirit assumes humanity in some kind of a unique begetting. And this is by means of a supernatural birth. Isaiah 7.14 prophesied, The Lord himself will give you a sign. A virgin shall conceive. Now, I know a lot of people, but I don't know any virgin that uh, of herself has conceived. We have a mixed-up pagan society today. Heather has two mommies. No, she doesn't. Every, everybody that's alive has a mother and a father, without exception. Biologically, that's correct. If you don't agree with it, you're, you're totally out of your mind scientifically. It doesn't happen. You have, a, you have a mother and you have a father. You have an egg and you have a sperm. If you don't have that, you don't have you don't have a new you don't have a baby. Come on, come on now, let's get off of our educated platform, and let's get back down to to truth. If if you're in this fictional world, get out of the educational world and learn what truth is before you start teaching our boys and girls about these Amen. things. You've got no business teaching your f f fiction and your myths and your fancies in order to justify. Your moral perversions. You, you just stop it. Right. Just stop it, if you will, please. A virgin shall conceive. Who ever heard of this? This is unique. This is unique. He will bear a son. So the gender here is given to us. And the name of the son is going to be God with us. In other words, 
He's going to be this. He's going to be uniquely begotten. The Spirit of God is going to enter into humanity by means of a virgin birth, whereby God will be with us through this special, unique begetting of a virgin who is going to conceive. Now, Mary recognized this. And if you think this was not a problem, I, I would. If you're, if you're a woman and you woke up one morning and you were pregnant and you had never had relationships with a man, now, you don't know anybody that's written a book about that. <laughs> Nobody's told that story in history, except Mary. Nobody's told that story in history. She was pregnant. She was conceiving in her womb. And, and she, she asked the same question. She asked the same question in Luke one thirty. She said, as the angel announced her, you found favor with God, you will conceive in your womb, you'll bear a son, and you'll name him Jesus. And she said, well, look, how in the world can this happen? This doesn't happen now. Didn't you take, didn't you take science in, in your course in, in, in elementary school and in high school and in college? Haven't you studied the birth processes? Haven't you studied this? How can this be? Because I have not known a man. I am a virgin. I am a virgin. What is Christmas all about? If you deprecate this and you lower this to the level of Santa Claus, you have profaned Christmas. I'm sorry. You have God himself with divine purpose, and we'll look at that in just a moment, entering into human history. By means of a virgin birth, God the Son, the second person of the divine trinity, assuming human flesh, and you're going you're gonna to substitute Santa Claus with this in your celebration? Come on. And reindeer? The first Christmas had an angelic chorus on the hillsides of Bethlehem, Judea. So now there's a redemptive purpose in this, and notice it's specifically stated in Hebrews 10.5. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldst not, but a body hast thou prepared me. God somehow, in the counsels of eternity, figured this thing out. And we'll come to that when we come to what God is doing in Ephesians in just a moment or two. A body hast thou prepared for me, and the redemptive purpose is described in Hebrews 2.14. Since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same. That through death, that through death. Now, you, you just stop and pause just a moment. God is contemplating a way, a way to take fallen humanity Sinful, wicked humanity, loaded with guilt, and bring him to himself and robe him in divine righteousness. And the only way he's going to do it is not by sending an angel, not by creating a religion, but by coming in the person of his son, assuming human flesh, so that he, in our place, as our substitute, might die for our sins. That's the bottom line of Christmas. 
He himself likewise partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Absolutely amazing. God becoming man. Truly God and truly man. Two divine natures inseparably united in one divine human person. Absolutely amazing. Mind-boggling. Now may I suggest to you that if you find difficulty in believing this, then you please explain to me the existence of two trillion galaxies. And if you could explain the existence of two trillion galaxies, then I will explain to you how this can be. A God that can create two trillion galaxies can do this. Okay? You do believe in two trillion galaxies. You, you may or may not believe how they got there. But you do believe in supernatural things. Because it doesn't matter whether you're an evolutionist or not. Two trillion galaxies is supernatural. There is no natural explanation for it. Period. Where have you been in your science classes if you found the natural explanation for it? They're guessing all over the place to try to figure out how this happened, and nobody's figured it out. That's because it's supernatural. If it were natural, they'd have it figured out. Okay? Okay? So what happens is here that he is the son of man because he is the seed of the woman. He is virgin-born, uniquely begotten, but he's also, at the same time, he's the son of God. He's uniquely God, he's uniquely man. Two natures inseparable in one divine human person. And in the text we read in Luke 1.30, where Mary questioned, how can this be? I don't, don't know a man. The angel explained to her how this is going to happen. He talks about a supernatural, miraculous birth. How, how am I going to conceive in my womb without, without any relationships with a man? This is not possible. This does not happen. But it did happen. The angel said, look, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And because of that, for that reason, the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. When you call on the Lord Jesus to save you from sin, He is the Son of Man who died for your sins. He's the Son of God, reigning supreme in heaven, who can forgive your sin. He has the power to forgive sin. He's the Son of Man, the Son of God. The Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. This was declared in Psalm 2.7. I will declare the decree of the Lord. I will tell you of God's decree. The Lord said to me, You are my Son. You are my Son. Hebrews tells us the nature of this Son. And I wish I had time uh, but it does, time does not permit to read that whole text. But in verse number 3 of Hebrews 1, the Lord Jesus is literally, from the Greek text, the effulgence. He is the full outraying, the full outshining of God's glory. He is secondly, the exact representation of his nature. Number three, he is the thirdly, he is the one who upholds everything by the word of his power. All things by him. Colossians chapter 1. All things consist in him. All things consist. They hold together. This is who. This is the nature and character of the Son. He is God the Son. He is God the Son. 
He is at the same time Son of Man and Son of God. I kind of chuckle every time I read this as I go through Matthew's Gospel as they're trying to trick, trick Jesus. And Jesus throws a question at him, at them, at the Pharisees and the scribes and all of these religious smart alecks, if we can call them that. That's what they were, arrogant, arrogant theologians. And he said, what do you think about Messiah? Well, whose son is Messiah? Where did he come from? What's his origin? Whose son is Messiah? Well, they said, well, he's the son of David. Oh, Jesus said, good, your answer is good, but I want you to answer me a question. How is it then, if he was David's son, that David in the Spirit, that is being inspired and revealed by the Holy Spirit, how did he call him Lord? If he's his son, how can he be his Lord? The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy enemies a footstool. If David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And I just shake my head in, in amusement and amazement. You see, he's the son of God and he's the son of man. That's how that's true. And these, these theologians didn't have that figured out. They couldn't answer him from that time they gave up trying to trick him up. He was at the same time the Son of Man and the Son of God. Now quickly before we observe the Lord's Supper, before we remember him, I've underlined this in the notes. If you don't have my notes, write this down please. Christmas is the humiliation of God. Get this. Get this. Now, may I say this? Many of us as Christians think that we are above temptation, we are above suffering, we are above abuse, we are above trials, we are above temptations, we are above being scorned, we are above having bad things happen to us, we are, we are above uh, having people betray us, we are above all of these things. But may I say we are very unlike God. Very unlike God. If God was like us, we would not be saved today. If God was like you and me, whether you're saved or unsaved, no one but no one but no one would ever get forgiveness. The only way God could take us to himself and get us to heaven was by humiliating himself. God the Son, God the Son, did not regard equality with God a thing to hang on to. He said, all right, I've got my rights. They're all gone. I'm going to deny my rights. You'd forgive someone if you denied your rights. You'd behave right if you denied your rights. You'd live differently if you denied your personal rights. A lot of the anger and hatred in your life, in fact, all of it would be gone if you denied your own personal rights. Christmas is the humiliation of God. Equality, equality with God? I'm going to put that aside. He took upon him, he emptied himself. He emptied himself of himself. And he took the form of a slave, a bond a slave. 
He gave his life completely to the needs of others rather than his own needs. Are you listening to me? His own needs became irrelevant. His own desires became irrelevant. His own dreams and ambitions became irrelevant. We've had all, we'd have a lot more young people on the mission field if they were like Jesus. Amen. He emptied himself, took upon himself the form of a bondservant. The needs of others were everything. His own personal wants and desires were nothing. This is Christmas. It's not Santa Claus and reindeer, I'll promise you. It's God humiliating himself in order to reach down so he could love us, embrace us, comfort us, forgive us, bring us to himself. This is what Christmas is all about. Being made in the likeness of men. He wasn't sinful. No sin apart from sin. He was made in the likeness of men. How humiliating for the sovereign to become the servant. For the infinite to become the finite. For the powerful to become, in a sense, weak. Absolutely amazing. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Anything he needed to do include dying in order to meet the needs of men. He did it. He chose to do it. He did it because he wanted to. It was his desire to do this. It was his plan to do this. May God challenge us today with the plans and purposes of our lives. Line them up with Christmas. Line them up with our Savior. That is the way to live. What a humiliation. He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of a parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty. We look upon him, no appearance. We should be attracted to him, despised, forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face, despised, and we did not esteem him. The humiliation of God is what took place at Christmas. Do you love him? Do you thank him? Are you grateful to him? Have you lost sight of what it means to know Jesus? In Ephesians, and I have to go quickly here. I don't want to argue the translators in the text and the italics in the text. If you read Ephesians 2, 1, there are italics in your King James translation. But in the Greek text, it's a flat-out statement. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead. In other words, no hope, no sign of life, nothing left, nothing left to know or please God. You were dead in trespasses and sins. That was your condition. In verse 4, hear me, hear me, hear me. God, being rich, wealthy, 
in mercy, wealthy in compassion, because not of his love, but because of his great love. You see, you have to put an adjective before love, or you can't explain Christmas. Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By divine favor, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that, wow, have you got your Bible? So that in the ages to come, he might show or demonstrate the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. What a Savior, what a redemptive purpose. Christmas is about the humiliation of God and the divine rescue of man. His great love with which he loved us. And we want to take the final moments of this service to turn our hearts toward God in heaven <clears throat> and to praise and thank God, to praise and thank God for his wonderful salvation, his kindness toward us, for his willingness to suffer total humiliation total humiliation in order that in Christ we might live so that Christ might present us to God as his children. Behold, I and the children that you have given me. That was in the heart and mind of God when he chose total humiliation to totally empty himself in order that we through his death might live. Come join me, please, as we get ready to take the elements that we have before us today. <clears throat> you see, what we have before, what I have before me here, are material elements. They're physical in nature, material in nature. We have bread, and we have a cup. The bread is symbolic of the body of Jesus Christ. How did he get a body supernaturally through a virgin birth? Why did he do it? Through his own personal humiliation. His blood, that represents the blood that flowed out of his veins. Why did God prepare a body for him? So that through death he might destroy him that has the power of death. So that you and I as believers might have forgiveness justification, victory, oh, the blessings of God because of the death of Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus told us that we need to take time to remember that apart from what he did for us on the cross, nothing else can have proper meaning. Nothing else can have proper fulfillment. Nothing else, nothing else can bring us to God. Nothing else can bring us into the purposes of God except the death of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. His great love, his great love with which he loved us. Pastor Pelletier, pray please a prayer of 
thanksgiving for his great love and the giving of his body on the cross. Our Father, especially at this Christmas time, we are reminded of this divine gift that we have of the Lord Jesus Christ coming to earth to die for us. Lord, he's God, and he came down to humble himself so that he could serve this purpose of rescuing us from our sins. We thank you so much for this wonderful gift. Help us to remember it, help us to revel in it, and to enjoy what you've done for us. And for those who have not accepted him, Lord, help them to come to him today. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus said, take, eat. This is my body, and it's given for you. Wow, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then again we read, after the same manner also, he took the cup. I'm going to ask Pastor Kelly to lead us in a prayer of thanksgiving for the atoning, covenant-sealing, shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we thank you for the blood that was shed on the cross to pay for our sins that was the total and complete satisfactory payment for all of our sins of all mankind mm -hmm. on the old rugged cross. I pray that you would bless us as we contemplate on that, as we commemorate that, dear Father, your word teaches us in the Old Testament the life of the flesh is in the blood, and how willingly and lovingly you poured out your life and shed your blood for us. Amen. We thank you and praise you for your great love for us, your infinite love for us, and how you showed it on the cross. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Jesus said, this cup is the New Testament, the New Covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, and do this in remembrance of me. Amen.